0: You're listening to Conversations with Shonda, a podcast that unpacks the community's grittiest, most vexing problems, hosted by Shonda Smith-Baker.
1: This conversation is sponsored by KP Companies, matching top talent with leading companies for over 20 years. KP Companies is an executive search firm specializing in finding top-tier talent across various industries and skill sets through their exceptional talent match process making them your source for finding key people. Get in touch with KP Companies at kpcompanies.com.
0: Welcome back to the concluding part of our special series featuring the remarkable Takema Robinson, CEO and founder of Converge, a national social justice consulting firm. In this episode, we delve further into the powerful narrative surrounding A.J. Owens, a courageous mother of four, whose tragic story serves as a reminder of the ongoing struggle for justice and equality. If you missed part one, don't worry. You can catch it on Conversations with Shonda podcast or visit conversationswithshonda.com. Get ready for part two and enjoy the show. We have
1: stood in spaces that we've been called into. But this is a larger issue. And so what are things like for people that are listening, like what is the call to action, right? What is So it's
2: been interesting. Like I said, it's, you know, I want to say, you know, Ben Crump's name. I want to lift up my sister Tamika Mallory, you know, like I said, the underground railroad of black sisters in this country is like no other. Right. And I don't have to say those names because they know who they are. They pick up the phone. Right. What I am discovering is, again, the incredible amount of grief that our communities are holding. And that just like in, you know, the work in in our churches, in our um, spiritual spaces, you know, we've understood as a people to survive this long, we have to fight this on multiple levels. Right. So that part I'm also learning. I'm also learning the amount of people who are impacted, whose names we do not know. Whose na- it took four days and it took a national black news anchor like a Joy Reid to hear our pleas to break the news to bring any justice into this. And what I'm learning is um, there are so many people who don't know how to tap into that network and whose families names will never be known. Right. And so, you know, I was talking to Ben. He was telling me they get 10,000 calls a week. I'm on the phone with Tanika, and her phone is ringing off the hook about another family begging for support and for her to use her platform, it's almost never ending, right? And so I'm learning the breadth of what this grief and what racial violence in our communities is really looking like. And so one of the things I'm really understanding is we don't really have a good, full understanding. And we don't really as a community have real systems we've got people who show up and try to do what they can do in their capacity we've got an underground railroad network very very informal but there's not a lot of support in clear structure for families who are going through this um and so i've been sitting with that um as a systems thinker and as a strategist um You and I work in philanthropy, right? Uh, We work where there's conversations about resources. In these instances, who's paying these funeral expenses? In these times, who's helping the family deal with unexpected legal bills? Who's helping the family relocate? Who's providing security because there's death threats? And who's taking care of the babies? And who's taking care of the babies? Who's getting the babies into trauma therapy? Who's driving them there? Who's making sure that Pam is in therapy? Um, the you know, the mothers, the family, like who's making sure, who's caring for? So and who's you know, making
1: we sure we're electing for- people that don't support this? Like yeah. we have like right, elections, like what are the public policies that we need to be thinking about? Because there's so many roles that for people that care about justice and care about kids not being traumatized, you cannot not care about this issue, these issues. Right. And and Whether or not it's immediate or not it's immediate because they're seeing it on social media. So it doesn't have to be a family member. It doesn't have to be someone close. All you need to know is that it can happen to you. All you got to know is it can happen to you. And to
2: your point, we got to give our communities a better answer than vote. And I'm not saying that's not a big part of the answer. That is a huge part of the answer because I set up the scene in terms of the dynamics in this community. And so now we're trying to get justice underneath the dynamics, the political and the racial dynamics of this community, right? So there is a public policy response to this. There is a mobilization and organizing and let's get you know, build power and push back. There is absolutely that component of it. But we have to make- There's a role for the church. There's a role for investing and financing. There's uh, a role for our historical civil rights organizations to get themselves in order to make sure that they're on their job, which is to, to carry the banner on justice in these institutions. And so there's a lot of broken things in the chain right the
1: one consistent thing though is black women and that's a period that ain't even a comma. that's just a fact because we
2: won't make it work even when it doesn't work but there's a lot of things in the system and I, I and I honestly believe this you know as we see you know this country you know uh go closer and closer to fascism And we see the rise of this, of racial violence and terror that is being um, promoted and normalized again in um, our culture. Um, As we see the proliferation of guns, right? I think this is an opportunity to really figure out how to make sure that Underground Railroad, those systems of What do we do? Not if, but when these things impact our communities and families, how do we mobilize? How do we organize? How do we support? How do we grieve? How do we process? How do we fight like hell for our lives? That system needs to be needs to be healed. It needs to be fortified.
1: It needs to be supported. So. We have the Robins, right, um, of, of of our nation. But we also have um, allies that have come from outside the Black community.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We have had, um, throughout history, there's been folks that have stood in, came in, worked to understand. Mm-hmm navigated spaces where we may not be able to navigate in the same ways. Uh What ways can folks outside of black community, I think we just said them, but I want to be clear that there's a role for everybody. This is not just for black people to hold or black women to hold.
2: Oh please, please, it can't be, right? Like that's but but I will say let's be clear who we're centering and who needs to lead and what the roles are for other people. I think there's lots of roles. And, you know, one of the biggest ones is resources, right? This takes resources, takes resources to defend your family's lives. It takes resources to defend your community. It takes, and it, and it is defend. It is literally defend because people are under assault, right? Just be clear about that. It And it takes resources to then create a system in a network. And so resources are really critical here to the point of finding purpose. One of the things that we have created and are preparing to launch into the world is a fund that we're calling Standing in the Gap. The Standing in the Gap Fund, which will support families impacted by racial violence with resources, right? Pam is a flight attendant. She no longer can work because she now has four babies to take care of. How do we support this family in bearing this burden in all the ways, but it particularly financially? Right? How then there's another set of resources and another set of conversations and mobilizations um, where we need to now look at the public policy. Aspects of this. We need to look at the policy of staying your ground. And so there's a lot of allyship in that space. I'm very excited about the partners that we are working with across the state of Florida, many of whom have already been on this, have already been looking at this law, have already been strategizing, but uh, they have absolutely been amazing allies to us, helping us as a family understand where we are in the arc of this law and how we may be able to use her legacy to support bringing this down. And so we found a lot of allyship outside of black community in those spaces. And so there is a role for everyone. Um, and I can't emphasize how important resources are, because that's usually not part of the conversation when you hear about these things and social media. You hear about these things, um, you know, on uh you know mass media, but the economic impact of this is devastating. Yeah. And it, and we have to move beyond GoFundMe pages. And we gotta move beyond GoFundMe Pages because you even, yeah, that 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 could be devastating in and of
1: itself yeah, <laughs>
2: to exactly. somebody
1: financially. Can we talk about Ben Crump? Yeah, let's talk about Ben. So there are people that say, you know, essentially equate him to an ambulance chaser. Yeah, I I, I right? heard that. yeah, that could happen. Um, I watched Crump, the documentary on him, and um found layers of things that allowed me to see in to what he's been called to do and him responding to that answer. Mm -hmm. The way that I sometimes hear about him is the way in which people used to talk about Reverend Al Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and other people that understand essentially that if you don't make noise, you for sure won't get justice. Absolutely not. If you make noise, you may not get justice. But the culmination of the noise will allow for someone to find justice in, in, the, in, the, in the judicial system, right? Judicial system. Who has he been? What have you learned about him? Because from my understanding, and I've witnessed some of it locally, is that the families are the networks that make the referrals. But what have you learned that might be Helpful to layer in the complexity of who he is and how he's showing up in the space.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I want to speak about Ben, but I also want to speak about Reverend Al. Yeah. And I want to put them in the context of many Black leaders, singular Black leaders whose names we know, whether it be Gordon Marshall was he an ambulance Chaser in, in you know like in that in that space could he have been perceived in that way or you know, um, you know many many others who have stepped up in our community to take on a big issue or big issues. Um, I was put in touch with Ben Saturday morning after AJ passed away through Latasha Brown. Our good sister at Black Voters Matter and, you know, someone we've known and loved for for many, many years. Um, And he was on the phone with me in minutes. Um, And it was interesting because Ben was actually catching a flight to Connecticut where he actually won one of the largest civil trials against on behalf of a Black victim of racial violence. Right. He was on his way to serve that family. The experience we had, and I'm just going to be I'm gonna speak to my experience, Ben treated our family like we were the only people he was working with at all. And and, and, and they, on a daily basis, his brother's in a different city. But both him, both Reverend Al have been nothing but full of integrity. Um, When it came to how they have dealt with us, there are calls on people's birthdays to check in on you. There is, you know, Pam's mom being held and supported by, you know, it's, it's, you know, we can say a lot about people and what we think is happening and what we think they're doing through the media clips. Our experience was one of, of a brotherhood and sisterhood. One of, I got you when I see you, and I'm here to be supportive. And if that means me bringing these cameras with me, then that's what I'm going to do too. You know, so we still have, there's still a civil aspect to this, and that's part of the, the work that they'll continue to represent the family. But I can only say who they have been to us in these past days and weeks, and that's who they've been. You know, um, we were with Ben in essence festival lifting aj's name up amongst all the women there and and he opened every single door he had available to himself but i think we sometimes believe that these people have more support and more infrastructure around them than they do and that was what i was saying earlier we think that there is more of a system than there is right we think that there's more than there is when there is mostly just lone leaders with very lean institutions or support around them, right? So we have expectations that singular individual leaders cannot fulfill. Reverend Al eulogized AJ on national television, right? Her funeral was televised nationally with him eulogizing it. And I had an interesting moment with him before he went, before the funeral began, where he brought me in and sat me down and talked to me about myself, taking care of myself, what was going to be required of me to stand in this role. It was real, real interesting what he told me. He told me to not let some of these other Black male leaders push me around in this process. It was real interesting, Shonda, because it was almost as if he's seen it play out a thousand times. He's because, clear he has. because he has. <laughs> because and, he has. Because uh, he has. And he knows, and it, it, and it was, you know what I'm saying? You're thinking all the things you've heard, the history. I'm thinking Tawana Brawley when I'm meeting this man. I understand the assignment, but there was still humanity and there was still clarity and there was still wisdom.
1: And let me say this, what what's coming up for me now is that both with with Ben, with with Reverend Al Sharpton, um, and others that have I mean, been. Fair yeah. All of all the people. Right? All of the people that have have done this, right? You're sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't, Absolutely. right? And it's sort of this thing of how critical we are of leaders, right? So okay. if I just Absolutely. play this out, what is in my head, which is even if he is an ambulance chaser, right? With air quotes. Um, And he shows up at the scene of the worst pain that a mother will ever feel. And if the result of him chasing that ambulance allows them to get some financial support, allows them to get justice in the the legal system and brings in resources to support Mm -hmm. them through the intensity of that grief, is that a bad outcome, or did you, or, or did they play their part? Right. So, so I guess that the the burden of going in those places and being in that grief is not for people that can't hold that. It's not for the weak. That that is hard work. That is hard, hard work. So for them to be able to do that work in light of the criticisms because God forbid it happens to you, I bet you, you're going to be on the phone. And so I just want to just add perspective because whether or not it's them or other leaders that are leading through tough issues, our, our appetite to criticize is becoming bigger than our appetite to support. So can we just talk about that? Like aside from them, But like, what are we doing to leadership and and is the way that we are um, judging leadership, creating the conditions for others to step into leadership roles within our own communities?
2: It's real unrealistic, y'all. And here's the thing. You and I know that in our own leadership roles, right? And after a while, back to the beginning of this conversation, 10 toes down, standing in my purpose, right? Connected to the courage of my ancestors, who gonna check me, boo? Because guess what? Who else gonna do it? So, those who criticize are usually the ones not doing it, right? So, again, I don't know who these, I've heard about these human beings, I know who they've been to me, I know how they walk with my family, right? right? Um, and 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 not not to say in other you know, they're above reproach and uh, it's okay, not. So let's
1: country. go. Like, let's go down that route. It's yeah, crazy. let's go down that route. Yeah, let's go down there. What can we talk about the difference between criticism and accountability? Absolutely, because we all gotta get held accountable. Because nobody can
2: do this work without making a whole lot of mistakes and learning a lot of things along the way.
1: Right. Right. Like grace has the grace has to live somewhere. So what you're saying is no one's above reproach, right? So that's a fact, right? The fact is, is that leadership and these issues are complicated and often leaders are stepping into issues that they haven't stepped into before because everything has some differences to it. Yep. That being held to do what you say you would do is part of leadership, right? Like there's an accountability factor that doesn't look like judgment and (laughs) non-support. Right. Right?
2: Can it look can accountability look like love? Can accountability look like compassion? Can accountability look like they're doing something I ain't got in me to do I wasn't called to do, right? Can um, accountability in our community come with grace? Can accountability come with, um, you know, great consideration? right? Because, again, none of these scenarios, these these are scenarios of grief and of trauma. They are highly charged. There is no perfect answer. There is no roadmap. There is none of that. We're talking real time on the scene leadership. And we're talking about trying to bring as much humanity into these situations as possible. Period. Period. So the expectation can't be perfection because this is not a perfect situation.
1: Often when we talk about leadership or when we are in roles, the focus is often on the technical elements and not on the adaptive nature of what is required to, to go into the space. Going into a space that is structured and predictable and that you have control and ownership over looks very different than a situation that is unfolding and that is um, right with mistrust, right? The complexity of it requires an adaptive nature of leadership, and we assess it often through a technical framework. Right.
2: Right. And with much and been li- very, very limited information, right? You know what I'm saying? Because the other part of it is these judgments are often being made up around sound bites, hmm. And with very limited information and, and what we think we know about these situations and about these people um, and about what should have happened and how it should have happened. And these things are so much more complex than any of that.
1: Let's talk about the, the Stand in the Gap Fund. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned it lightly before, but it's a new fund. If people wanted to hear more about that, where would they go?
2: Yeah, so right now the Washington Area Community Foundation is hosting the fund. Um, and um, our fund was seeded by um, Tyler Perry's foundation and Steven Spielberg's foundation. Um, and so we're we're really excited to get ready to launch it nationally. Um, But the idea of this fund, which again is called Standing in the Gap, um, is really about supporting families and communities with some of those immediate resource needs when these things happen. Um, And so that's the whole purpose of it. We have grants for individuals where we will reimburse for Everything from funeral expenses to legal expenses to security needs to, in AJ's instance, we had to relocate the family and find complete new housing. Right. Um, And so it helps the families with some of those immediate needs and those transition needs. Um, And so we are designing ourselves to be a rapid response fund, a disaster fund in that way. And then for organizations, we also understand that in order for us to get justice, communities are going to need resources to organize quickly you know, during um, the first month, there were community activations every single day um, after AJ's death up until um, the state attorney had to file the charges, right? It takes resources to to print t-shirts, to, you know, make signs, to mobilize organizers and residents. It takes Resources to pull all of those things together, um, and for a community to take a stand in instances like this, right? Our, our communities don't often have these resources just laying around.
1: For um, at the beginning of this, you talked about you in um, the work that you're doing with Converge Consulting. Yeah, my team. Um, I don't know how you're doing that if you're doing this, and maybe they're together. I don't know. But when you're calling is something that's big like this, what how, what impact does that have on you in your work?
2: It, impacts, it has a big impact, but I am I am blessed to be supported by an amazing team. I've built this organization over the past seven years um, and I'm really proud of the work that we do and the team that I have and who we are. Um, and so my team has really held held down um, the, the the work at Converge. Again, after seven years of building this company, I get to finally be the CEO, the chief encouragement officer. Um, and so even in my bereavement, um, the team has kept it it. But it's it, it's it's impacted me quite a bit. It's impacted me personally. It's impacted me financially. It's impacted, of course you know, my family, my family dynamic. I've, you know, had to take a few months out of the step out of the company for bereavement and to attend to this. And so um, I think another thing that, you know, needs to be said again, is that, you know, as a leader stepping into these spaces, it has, we, we have to be supported in very real ways. And that's why, Deeply grateful to the team that I have um, and my family in their support of me as a leader and as a human being, as an individual, um, so that I can serve um, in this role in this time for
1: AJ's. family. Just one one last question that I have is on this line of support um, in organizations and those that are supervising people, managers of people. Mm -hmm. that do the work inside their businesses corporations foundations right we do the work that's required and then we do the other work that's required in community right we often are doing more than what is expected because we've been called um, and we are accountable right we are responsive to those what does it look like to be supported, because we often talk about support coming from those that report to us, those that we have birthed, those that birthed us, right? Those in our church communities. But what does it look like to be supported by those that are above you? Hmm. Hmm. you have an answer for that?
2: Mm. Well, what it looks like to be supported um, first and foremost is to be receptive to support, you know, to be receptive to it, right? In order to receive like going back to that quote, do you want to be well? Because in order to do this work, in order to survive this work, you have to be supported. And so I often wonder whether or not we know how to be supported mm-hmm. and to allow support. Because often many of us don't have it and have it, don't have a familiarity with it. So there's that part. Right. But what so being we, able to articulate what you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being yeah. able to articulate what you need and being able to receive it when it shows up. But what yeah. it's like is a level of compassion for the complexity of the roles that we have, not only in the institutions, but in the community. Mm-hmm. To be supportive... Is to be seen in both of those roles, and for folks to understand the complexity of that. Sometimes all I need is to be seen in that. So that's one big piece of what it looks like to be supported by people who are, you know, higher up in organizations. Um, it's also looked like giving space and grace for. The holding of the complexity, it often looks like reminding us that we're not failing because yeah. we're not able to alleviate all of the suffering. Right. Right. Um, and sometimes hearing that and being reminded of that, um, that even in our, you know, in our, in our best efforts, suffering continues and that's hard. That part is hard. Mm-hmm. To know that I'm going to do this work and at the end of this work, they will still be suffering. That part is hard to hold. Right. And so to remind us that we're not failing, I, I remember hearing that oftentimes in black women, depression looks like believing that we're failing. And so that's been really helpful for me to be reminded um, that I'm not failing because I can't save them all.
1: That's profound. What is bringing you hope? Africa,
2: Izzy, Isaac, and Titus. Mm -hmm. And those are AJ's four babies. They bring me hope. Mm -hmm. They bring me hope. Mm -hmm. They bring me hope and they give me a lot of purpose um, because. What cannot happen is that this charts the rest of their life. Yeah. Right. And I believe on a spiritual level that their mother's life was sacrificed for them. And that unfortunately, they are now going to have opportunities that she may not have been able to give. And those of us who are charged with their care and their raising, we have a duty to make sure that those opportunities can bring purpose to their lives and that the trajectory of their lives can change for the better for this.
1: Yeah, right on to that. And um, as you say that, you know, Oscar Grant has a daughter, George Floyd his children, right? AJ's children, Dante Wright's son, Dante Wright Jr. There are children attached. There are children whose lives have changed, right? I lost my mother in 2020. I could barely stand. I could barely cope. I could barely stand up. Thank God I had the opportunity to to know her. Um... in in the time that I had, and that is not a given. And so when we think about why we do the work, it's for the generations that are coming. And so for you to be able to hold hope and to understand that for them to live their lives defined more fully and in the legacy of their mother, it requires many people to have them see life bigger than the incident that took her life. Absolutely, the whole village. And um, it's been
2: beautiful to witness how children process grief.
0: Um,
2: We had um, a big rally in Florida um, back in July, and the children attended. um, And there was a moment when uh, we had Ty Trippett's praise leader there. And there was a moment he was performing. And the next thing I know, AJ's children were on stage with him, praise dancing for their mama. So um, the babies are watching. And at the end of the day, you know, putting it in the perspective of when we show up when we do this work. When we do the work in ourselves, when we do work in community, we are healing the seven generations before us and the seven generations after us. Yeah, And I live in that, and I stand in that, and that is what purposes. That is what purposes me. That is what gives me purpose and gives me meaning and helps me find my way, even in deep grief, tragedy, and trauma.
1: Hakeemah Robinson, I thank you. I um, I don't know all of what you hold because I can't even gather it through this conversations, but I know what you're holding, you know, uh, and I know that what you're holding requires support and care and acknowledgement. And so I acknowledge um, that you listened to what you were called to do. And I know that that is an act of courage that requires more than what you probably understood when you said yes to the call.
2: Well, I'm really, really grateful for this time with you. I know it's like a podcast, it was supposed to be a professional, but like this has been so um, actually um, a beautiful experience for me to just even sit here and spend time with someone else who I know knows. So thank you for seeing me. Thank you for giving me this time, this opportunity to talk, and share, and process. So I'm
0: grateful. Thank you. Thank you. And that's Takema Robinson and our host, Shonda Smith-Baker. To explore more insightful conversations and stay updated on Shonda Smith-Baker's work, visit our new website at smithbaker.co. That's smithbaker.co.